Well, good morning. It's good to be with you and uh, this great privilege uh, today to, uh, to preach the Word of God to you. I just want to say I'm thankful for this congregation and your pastor, uh, who's been a wonderful blessing to me and encouragement in the ministry. Um, sometimes you do feel a little bit like Elijah, you're the last one, and uh, I know there's John Payne out there, so it really helps me a lot. Really thankful for this brother and his, uh, his ministry. So when he asked me to come um, to, to bless you, I, I, there's no way I could say no. So it's wonderful to be here, and I'm going to invite you this morning to turn to Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 24, Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, as we will consider uh, the Great Commission today um, from maybe what appears to you or in your thought is a little bit unconventional of a passage for the Great Commission. Maybe it's because we've always gone to Matthew 28, but I think you'll see how important this passage is for a good understanding of the Great Commission. This is the Word of the Lord. I'll begin reading at verse 13. Let's give our attention to His wonderful Holy Word. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with one another as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened the, uh, there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but he urged them strongly saying, they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon." Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. 
As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. And there ends the reading of God's holy word. Well, one of the things that we do when it comes to uh, the Great Commission is that we go, appropriately so, uh, to the Gospel of Matthew. And we go and we know that little great phrase in Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's our, our great, great commission verse. And it's a wonderful, wonderful verse to consider in that context. But I think we've struggled a little bit with what does the great commission look like on the ground? In other words, obviously the Lord gave the Great Commission so we would all feel guilty that we're not doing it enough, right? Well, of course not. But that's kind of what we've done to it. Is he give, he's given it to us so that we feel guilty constantly for not doing enough. That is not the way to approach the Great Commission with guilt. That has never been his way. This is a work of the sovereign Lord, and we have to trust that. His, in His work. But I thought we would look at this this morning, I uh, would look at this morning with you a passage that at least as I see it, and maybe um, it's not the case in your case, that doesn't seem to be a passage as much about initial reading as it really about the Great Commission in, in Luke chapter 24. In my experience, I usually preach this passage only on Easter or Resurrection Sunday, and that's all the treatment that it gets. But this is a marvelous text to understand the Great Commission. And that's what I want to do with you to show you how the, res- the truth of the resurrection this morning drives the Great Commission and to help you and encourage you as a church. Because in this particular passage, what Jesus is doing is really giving an on-site lesson to his disciples in what the Great Commission looks like. What it is to be. Where it is to stay focused. Um, how it works. And it is Jesus himself performing the Great Commission on his disciples. That's what's happening here in Luke chapter 24. 
And this is immensely important because I think, as, as um, Pastor Payne prayed, it really does begin in-house first. There has to be things that are put in place first for us before we're ever even going to naturally go out and think about how to bring back in, which is another issue that you talk about in the Great Commission that often gets lost. But the most effective witnesses to the Christian faith and of Jesus Christ are those who first have received and know what the gospel has accomplished in their own lives. That is what this is about in Luke chapter 24. They first had to see Jesus. They first had to see Jesus. And to be effective in their callings that the Lord was giving to them, it's the same thing for us. We have to see Jesus. You remember, it was the Gentiles who came to Jesus and John and begged, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. He didn't immediately show himself to them. That was reserved for the Great Commission. Well, that's where we are today. And the first thing that we see here is Jesus seeing Jesus today in resurrection power. That's the question that I want to ask of the text. The question that I want to ask of you, do you see Jesus in resurrection power? Do you see him? We have to see him. But how is that done? How is that done? My contention, and that it seems obvious from this text, is that even if the resurrected Jesus were standing in front of us today, and that he walked in here and gathered among us, that does not mean that we would see him. And that is the great need of the people, to see Jesus. So how do we see Jesus? And I believe that's what the text is, is really pressing home for us in, these init- in this initial section uh, as he walks on the road to Emmaus with his disciples. So I begin here with Jesus unseen. That's the sort of first point I'm working with. And you'll notice here the scene is dramatic. We enter the scene uh, and we read in verse 13 that that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem And they're talking with each other about all the things that had happened. These two men are deeply sorrowful. These two men are really hurting over the fact that Jesus had died. If we were able to uh, sort of put ourselves in their shoes just for a moment, imagine this for a moment. The reality in front of them seems... And, and again, this is how it was perceived. You have to walk down that Emmaus Road for a minute in their shoes. The reality in front of them seems that everything that had happened to Jesus of Nazareth had been a giant mistake. The worst possible outcome that could have happened is that the Son of... Think about it. Their King, their Messiah, was killed. The imagery you have is that they're walking away brokenhearted. Their hopes are dashed. The death of Christ was a big stumbling block to them. Was a big stumbling block to them. They're confused. They're walking away sad. They don't understand this. How could this have happened? 
How could his life have been snatched away like that? How could the Roman authorities, if, he's, if he has this power and could raise a man from the dead, he'd decay. Where is he? You can imagine the conversation. This makes no sense. All these powerful things he did. But he could do nothing about his own death. And did you see the crucifixion? Cleopas? It was awful was bloody. They beat him. They struck him. He died. And all he only did to anyone was help them and love them. What a tragic ending to this story. Is this it? Now we're trying to put together the conversation here. Luke gives us an interpretive clue for understanding the real issue in verse 16. You can read right by it, read it right over it. But their eyes were restrained from recognizing him. Huh. That's a great problem to this day. (laughs) It's a great problem. They could not see him. We can't see Jesus right now. My question is, 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 that, is that divine restraint? Did God sovereignly um, blind them for a moment? Or was it a restraint of their own doing? I've gone back and forth over that over the years. I think of Mary, who when he had come to Mary in the garden, remember, she was so overwhelmed with grief because she loved her Lord so much. It was pure love and affection for her Lord. It crushed her that she could not, and some of you know in grief, You can't see anything in front of you. She couldn't see him. Mary, it's me. Well, here we are. The authors of the New Testament in reporting the resurrection seem to often, and more often than not, convey this great problem to us that nobody was really able to see him after the resurrection. There are a variety of reasons for this. There's the Mary reason. Then there's the Thomas reason. If I don't see, I will not believe. See how much emphasis is on seeing. But I believe the author is is capturing something of the real problem for all of us. It didn't matter if Jesus stood in front of them in resurrection power because they still could not see him. That's the problem of the text. Every text has a problem that has to be solved. And this is exactly what the text is wrestling with for us to, to grapple with. And, and we would all stop and say, wouldn't the, resurrect, or wouldn't the Great Commission today be so much easier if Jesus would do what the dispensationalists want him to do? Come here and build the temple and sit there. Right? I mean, that would just be easier, wouldn't it? And we could make our pilgrimage to Jerusalem. I don't like making the pilgrimage to Charleston. I don't know if I'd want to go all the way to Jerusalem. Think about this. Do we see Jesus? How do we see Jesus? They could not see him. Luke is pressing us with this. Why is Jesus unseen? We claim a resurrection. How can it be validated if we can't see him? You see how important this is for the Great Commission? 
back to the disciples. Luke, Luke wants us to ask, why are they blind? You know, he wants, he's pressing his home on us. Why can't they see Jesus? And, and in verse 14, we read, Jesus himself drew new to, near to them and walked with them. And so he begins to ask a question of them. What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still and they looked sad. Cleopas answers in shock. Are you, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem these days and have not known the things that have happened? He's ag- agitated. Who is this? Is the guy who comes up and interrupts your conversation and you're like, go away for a minute. I just. Jesus, what things? He's a master rabbi, isn't he? It's one of my favorite responses of Jesus in the Bible. What things? Work it out. There's something so powerful about it. I tell couples in premarital counseling, I look at the man and I said, until you... Learn that your wife doesn't want you to solve all the problems in your marriage, She's, and, but you to simply listen while she works out the problems, and you need to listen. Your marriage is going to be difficult, and he looks at me cross-eyed every time. He doesn't get this yet. He'll get it. Jesus, what things? They should have known. Tell me about it. And they do. The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, that he was a mighty prophet indeed, and word before God and all the people and our chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and they crucified him. They're they're in pain saying this. They are really in pain. They are frustrated. They are blinded. They had gave him the death of a criminal. How could they have done that? They stripped him naked not knowing any of that was for them. All they seem to believe is it was a mistake. Completely outside the control of God. It's the greatest tragedy ever written, this story to man, that this could happen. But notice fully what they say. And you see, sir, now it's the third day. He's not here. <laughs> He's not here. He said he'd be here. That little phrase besides this, the third day, seems to be they were thinking of Jesus' word back in Luke 18, where Jesus said, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamed and treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. And then Luke adds this. But they understood none of these things. That saying was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what was said. Huh. Two problems. They can't see him, and they can't understand anything. Those are two big problems of the text here. So why can't they see him, um, even though he stands right in front of them? Why can't they see him? 
Well, there's an indication given. And what is it? But we were hoping he was finally going to come and redeem Israel. You see, that's an insight. Why couldn't they see Jesus? Well, their hopes and their expectations of what Jesus was going to do were all wrong. There's another way. There's no other way to take this than that they believed that Jesus, when he came and the Messiah would come, he would finally free Israel from all the political and the spiritual woes that they were facing from Rome. No wonder they couldn't see him. This is a huge exposure. I suggest it's one of the greatest problems of our day. What do people think are the greatest problems that we have right now? What do they think? Well, the biggest problems facing humanity, you know, I was over at Fort Sumter and I saw the sign. It's climate change, right? Some would say social justice. We've got to achieve justice now and fix these problems. It's got to be the war in the Ukraine. What an awful thing that's happening in front of our eyes. It's got to be the plan. I mean, you can go right down the line. All the causes, all the, all the things. What do you want Jesus to do for you? What if that was asked? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to fix? America, right? How much sorrow has filled our hearts this moment like them about the future? Why? Because we're acting like he's dead. He's not dead. He's risen indeed. Why can't they see him? Why can't people see him? It's sin, of course. But they miss the purpose for his coming. And they, all these years, they didn't understand why he had to come. What do you think our battle is in the church today, to this day? It's getting people to understand what the ministry is all about. You know why people don't see Jesus? Verse 46, Jesus said, thus it is written, it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all the nations. <laughs> there it is. What if the biggest problem on the planet no one's taking seriously? That there is a judgment to come. And that sin has alienated all of us from God. And that the wrath of God is real. And what if nobody's talking about hell? 
Jesus will have none of this because he cares. That's why he came. The greatest need is repentance and the forgiveness of sins to the nations. He just said it. That's the Great Commission. So how does Jesus deal with this? How do you deal with this mammoth problem? I appreciate your prayer. This feels impossible. (laughs) With God, that's the beauty of this. Nothing is. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Did you see what he just did? He didn't just say, look, he will in a minute. But that's not where he started. He didn't just say, look at me. What did he do? He let them work out their problem. And then how does he solve their problem? Do you understand that it had to happen that the Christ would suffer and enter into his glory? He's not working on their eyes. He's working on their hearts. Israel's problem was not Rome. He is after their hearts here. Of all things Jesus could have done, how does he open their eyes? He goes back to the Old Testament. (laughs) Of all things to do at this minute, he goes back to the Old Testament. And he begins to expound in their hearing the Old Testament. And he begins to explain what Moses and the prophets were all about. That's why Israel still has a blind over their eyes to this day. They can't see this. And what does he say? He looks at them and he says, all that history that you know, here's what you've never seen in it. It's all about me. Isn't it something that the first thing he does after the resurrection is preach the gospel. First thing to these men, to the disciples, he is preaching the gospel of his person and work from the Old Testament. And, and, and can you imagine standing there listening to Jesus? I don't know what he chose. This would have been, uh, you know, years endeavor if he wanted to make it years endeavor. But think about this. I mean, think... And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. It's almost directly to this account. For they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said to them, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. I will provide for you. And then he said this, and now your eyes see. Light bulb. That was Jesus who was talking about. And that God had planned from the beginning and declared that in the fullness of time, he would send his son to die on a cross not to just redeem us for earthly greatness, but to suffer in our place the intense wrath of God to bear all of our sins and secure for us the hope of eternal glory. 
And after he preaches, we read, they come to the village. And he indicated he would have gone farther, but they, can notice, they constrained him by saying, abide with us for it's toward the evening and the day is far spent. Don't leave us, remain with us. And Luke wants us now to finally answer the question, how did they see him? On-site Great Commission training. They say, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Highlight that. That's so important. As Christ was preaching, you hear what they said? As Christ was preaching, as Christ was being preached, our hearts were set on fire by the word of God. Jesus is setting them on fire in the heart by the scriptures. And they are filled with amazement. They are filled with amazement. Notice this, verse 30. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave that to them. What, what is that? <laughs> Does that sound familiar to you? It's the same formula for the Lord's Supper. And what happens? Word, sacrament, and what happens? Next verse. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. When? <laughs> In no way that the American church has found to be very successful. And he vanished from their sight. Here's the point. They saw him in the gospel preached and in rehearsing for them what the sacrament meant. And I think Luke wants to drive home this point in the next scene. Jesus comes to all his disciples and shows himself. Now they said these things. Jesus stood in the midst of them and said, Peace to you. They're terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? He shows himself. Handle me. Behold my hands and feet. It's I myself. Handle me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a phantom. But then in verse 40, And he showed them his hands and feet. He ate in their presence to prove that he's real, that he is risen. But now notice this. Then he said to them, These are the words that I spoke to you when I was still with you. And then he goes right back to the Scriptures. All things that were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms are fulfilled concerning me. And what's the next words? And he opened their understanding. The two problems are solved. <laughs> he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Notice he didn't just open their eyes and understanding just to see him standing there. He opened their understanding and their eyes to see him in the Scriptures. And that's why in Acts, we see on Pentecost, it wasn't a, what we think. It wasn't a fire show. When those tongues of fire came on those men, what is the first thing that's recorded? They start grabbing the Old Testament and preaching Jesus. That's the fire. This is why Paul prayed, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, 
that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. Verse 46 says, he said to them, thus it is written, thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. That's what they realized right then and there, what they were to go do. And um, all their sorrows in this life, you'll notice in an instant, when they were able to see Jesus in the scriptures, notice how it was turned to joy. We of all people are the most joyful people in this world right now. Who's offering us good news in this world? You've got it. You've got the best news that could ever be given to you. For us to be effective in this great task, our hearts have to be taken with seeing Jesus from the Scriptures ourselves. We have to be growing in that. We have to be hungering and thirsting for that. And that produces in us, and this is such a beautiful thing. I, I, I love to visit a church like this because I see your love for the Scriptures and a faithful ministry in place here. Um, that is something that God has done for you. And the great com- commission being fulfilled right here in this place when the gospel's preached is one of the most beautiful things. When your hearts are set on fire to see Christ from all of Scripture, and it leads you to conviction and repentance and to confess your sins and to receive forgiveness, that is fulfilling what this ministry is all about. And as you grow in that, it expands. So the great commission I want to say to you today, it begins with us, and then we go out and we tell others where we found bread. (laughs) That's what we say. What is evangelist? One beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. And, and this is one of the beauties of the Great Commission. Not only do we, we get to witness and testify to these things of what the Lord has done for us, to our neighbors and friends, but you have a place. They still say the greatest way the church expands and grows to this day is when you, who have been affected by the gospel, go out and invite your neighbors and tell them and bring them back. then we will care a whole lot about that Gentile question. Sir, we want to see Jesus. And we will say, come over here. Let me feed you not just with physical food. Let Let me help you to see and receive the bread of life. Come sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. And there you will see the great commission being fulfilled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you um, for such a glorious text that helps us to see your great work that you are continuing to this day. Churches have been established all over the face of this nation, all over the face of the globe. And you will have that gospel to continue to be preached to all the nations as a witness. And then the end will come. When the last of your elect come in, the trumpet will sound. And you will gather your elect from the four corners of the, of the earth and bring us into a kingdom forever of righteousness where it shall dwell of no more sorrow or sickness or death. And so we will trust you, asking that you will bless the work here in this place and that the name of Christ would be held high and that our hearts, O oh Lord, would burn as we hear the scriptures hungering for them to see the precious, indescribable gift of your beloved Son to the nations. 
In Jesus' name we pray.